Good morning, church. Welcome to another brand new month. Amen. I hope we are excited about it. We are in the third month of the year. Time is running. It's going. It's a new month. New mercies. New mercies we have seen. New mercies. Yeah. Or we have needed. God's hands have provided. Great indeed is his faithfulness. Amen. So you and I have every reason to rejoice. Amen. We're moving straight into the word. Um, uh, we're continuing our series on the book of John, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And today is part 92 and I'm ministering under the sub-theme, Empty Tomb, An Empty Tomb, An Empty Tomb. Amen. This church is special. You've received your Easter message four Sundays in advance. <laughs> Amen. You know, tra traditionally, every Easter Sunday, pastors, we all like to preach resurrection messages and give our revelation and our fanciful stuff around it. But contrary to popular opinion and tradition, resurrection is not an Easter message. Resurrection is the gospel. And it's supposed to be preached in season and out of season. Amen. Before that, let's let's start off with a word of prayer and get right into it. So John chapter 20, verse 1 to 10. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that will minister to us. We thank you for your word that will be spirit-inspired, spirit-directed, spirit-influenced. We thank you for your word that will have power in it. We thank you for your word that will cause uh, the stone of unbelief to be rolled away. We thank you for the word that will cause our hearts to be hearts of flesh that we will receive your word. We thank you for your word that when we mix it with faith, it shall profit us. We thank you for your word that has the wonder-working power and the ability to transform us daily into the image of Christ. We thank you for the word that as we sit under the, the word being taught and being preached, may it affect our mindsets, may it affect our thought patterns that truly we will say we have the mind of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that this is done. We receive it. Amen. John 20, verse 1 to 10, I repeat and I read. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, for it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Three. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. And the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he might rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again 
to their own homes. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, this is John's accounts. And John, John is writing in the third person. Amen. And I like how John emphasizes that I am the one whom Jesus loves. And sure, that's how every believer should feel. You should feel that you are the one whom Jesus loves. Amen. Don't wait for anybody to say, say it to yourself. The funny thing is that nobody said it about John. He said it about himself. He wrote it and he put it there. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. If you have a problem with it, hey, uh, tough, tough luck. <laughs> Amen. I don't know whether Matthew, Mark and Luke happen to read John's episode and like, what do you mean that you are the one that Jesus loves? I don't know whether they did read that, you know, but say to yourself, Christ loves me. I am the beloved of God. I am the apple of God's eye. Amen. Now, um, there's an account of a popular story, I believe we all know, the resurrection. Um, verse 1 lets us know that after the Sabbath. Now, this story is in Matthew chapter 28. It's in Mark chapter 16. It's in Luke 24. All right, so it's in all the Gospels. So like I keep on saying, emphasis, read all the accounts. It helps. Because sometimes it's able to fill certain gaps and it, it gives more meaning. Now, on the first day of the week, it signified Sunday. Christ rose on a Sunday. That's why we call it Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And how do I know that? When you read Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, it says that after Sabbath, Sabbath was a Saturday. So after Sabbath was a Sunday. So immediately the Jewish people finished celebrating their hallowed day. The Lord rose. And it also made mention of the witness, Mary Madeline. You know, John just wrote Mary. But if you read all the other accounts, there were many people there. So if you read Mark chapter 16, verse 1. Mark also wrote his accounts. It was Mary Madeline. You see, Mary Madeline was mentioned by John. Mary Madeline is also mentioned by Mark. Mary, the mother of James. Do you remember I told you, Jesus, he really likes people called Mary. So his mother is Mary. There is Mary Madeline. There is Mary, the mother of James. And then there is Mary who is also known as Salome. You remember I spoke to you about Mary Salome. The Bible lets us know she is the wife of Clopas. So there were three Marys there in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. So um, it, it was a company of women. So in John 19, 1, it might suggest it's Mary Madeline because she's given the prominent mention. But actually on that Sunday, there were three women. Luke 24 says there were certain women. So their names are not mentioned. But at least Matthew and Mark do mention at least the names of them. And it was important why were they going there. If you read Luke chapter 24, verse 1, it explained why they went there. So that's Luke's version. They went with spices to anoint the body, to embalm the body. That was the reason why they were going you know, they wanted to embalm the body so that it would be prevented from decaying because 
you know, a body after three days, it starts to go very bad. It starts to decay and go very bad. So um, these people did not want to the body to decay that quickly. So they wanted to preserve the body by embalming it with spices, anointing it with spices. So that is the reason why they went. They were not necessarily going because they were going to see Christ risen from the dead. They were going as duty just to go and embalm the body so that the body could be preserved from decaying. And the Bible lets us know that when they went there, they met an empty tomb. Um, verse 2 lets us know that she ran and came to Simon, Peter, and John, that they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid them. The stone had been taken away from the tomb. And mind you, this stone was a very large stone. It's physically impossible for a human being to roll away the stone. It's such a large stone. But you know what? When we read Matthew chapter 28, I think it will fill certain gaps for us. So go with me to Matthew chapter 28 and let's see what actually happened. We'll come back to John. Matthew chapter 28. Now look at this, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Madeline and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So why does the church meet on Sunday? The church meets on Sunday because we believe that the Lord resurrected on Sunday. But if you read the book of Colossians, Paul says that if we are in the New Testament, we shouldn't have bones about whether church should meet on Sunday or we should meet on Saturday. That's not really the case. Every day is hallowed. Okay, so let's make that clear. I know a church that even meets on Friday evenings. They don't meet on Saturday, they meet on Sunday, on Friday evenings. It's a church. The fact that they don't meet on Sunday doesn't mean it's not a, it's a church. Amen. <laughs> so in Christ, we don't really stick ourselves to one particular day as the Lord's day. Do you understand? But maybe um, there might be many reasons why they may decide that, you know what, we will want to worship the Lord on a Sunday, which is fine. But don't, we should not make bones about it because we know some churches that meet on Saturday, uh, you know, try to sometimes pit days against each other. We are worshiping God on the right day. You are worshiping that That does not really hold water. Amen. Like where we are, the facility that we use, it's a church that uses it on Saturday. They don't condemn us. We don't condemn them. We are living in harmony. We are living in love. We are living in peace. Amen. So that's what matters. All that matters is that we all believe in the same God, in the same Lord, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one death, one resurrection. This is what unites us together, not days. Amen. I thought I should just throw that in. Verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. So this was what happened. There was a great earthquake. What was the cause of the earthquake? An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. So this stone was a very large stone. If you read Mark chapter 15, Mark 15 lets you know that 
this stone was a very, very large stone. It's physically impossible for any human being to roll away this stone. It takes some supernatural strength to do that. Now, the angel did not just roll the stone. He rolled it from the door and sat on it. That means he took it out of its place and sat on it. Virtually impossible. And then if you do remember, John chapter 20, when we were doing our series, when Jesus died, there were soldiers who were guarding the tomb. Because the chief priest and the Pharisees told um, Pilate that, look, this man says he is going to resurrect from the dead. So we better have soldiers there. So there were soldiers there and there was a large stone. But look at what happened. Now it's describing the angel. His countenance was like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards, you see, the soldiers were there. They shook for fear and became like dead men. So they probably collapsed. They probably collapsed. They, they fell like dead men. And then, but the angel answered and said to the woman, do not be afraid. So between verse 4 and verse 5, there is a time period. So probably when the people, you know, collapsed and, and fell like dead men, and when these people came, the woman came later with the intent to embalm the body, they also became afraid because they came to meet an angel whose countenance is like lightning and his clothing is like white as snow sitting on the tombstone. And when the woman saw it, they, they were afraid. And the angel said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Six, he is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples the word. Now back to John chapter 20. So now when we read verse 2, the Bible lets us know, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So between verse 1 and verse 2 of John chapter 20, in between verse 1 and verse 2, all this incident happened that Matthew recorded. Are you understanding me? So when Mary Madeline, Mary the mother of James, Mary Salome the wife of Clopas, when they went with spices intending to go and embalm Jesus' body, they went to meet a horrifying sight. They saw soldiers lying there like dead men. They saw an angel who, the Bible says, his countenance is like lightning, his clothing is as white as snow, sitting on the tomb, and told them that the man that you are looking for is not here, for he is risen. And they went with great joy and with great fear to go and tell the disciples. So verse 2 is the encounter with the angel in Matthew chapter 28 that John didn't record. You see why it's so important to read all the other accounts so that you'll be able to sort of 
get a good picture and a fuller picture of the story. Amen. So Peter therefore went out. They went to go and verify for themselves. And the Bible says that they ran. I don't know why John put it in there that I outran Peter. <laughs> anyway, but he outran Peter. <laughs> he is a fit man. I don't know why he put it in there. Why, why is that important? But he outran, he outran Peter. And then when they went there, they, they, they saw the linen clothes lying there. The linen clothes are used to wrap the dead body from the head to the toe. They saw the linen clothes lying there, which shows that indeed he is resurrected. I'm sure it had all the blood stains and, you know, everything, all these uh, crucifixion marks. It was lying there. And they saw the handkerchief that had been wrapped around the set, not lying with the laying clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. You see, Jesus is orderly. When he woke up from the grave, he had time to fold <laughs> the head, the head, the head handkerchief. So please make your bed. <laughs> When he rose from bed, he had time to make up the, the, the handkerchief and put it down. Amen. But it has a very significant meaning in the Jewish tradition. In the Jewish tradition, you know, there was a very big disparity between a slave and a master. They did not really associate because they didn't see themselves on the same societal status. So most masters will communicate to their servants by signs. So for example, when a servant is going to take care of his master after he has finished eating, there are certain signs he will have to watch out. When he goes and the napkin that he uses to eat is folded, you don't take the food away. That means the master will come back. If he goes to the master and sees that the napkin is unfolded and lying there, that means he's finished eating and you can take it away. Just cast your mind back. Have you been to a restaurant before? And when you go to a, one of those restaurants where they say that, oh, there are tables everywhere, pick a table for yourself. Sometimes you will see certain tables, there are still plates there. That means maybe the waiter is trying to get the plates out and things like that. Sometimes you will go to a place, you will see nothing on the table, but you will see a napkin unfolded. It means somebody has just finished eating. And probably they will come and wipe the place. And you will go to a place to you will see a folded napkin with the cutlery and everything. That might be the place you want to sit. You see, it administers something. That means the restaurant is inviting you to come as a customer. Now, when Christ folded the thing, to the Jewish people, it, it had a strong meaning. It meant that Christ was going to come back. Everything in the Bible has detail. Why was the head handkerchief just left there anyhow, but it was folded? It means Christ is coming. I have unfinished business. I have unfinished business to come and show myself to the disciples and show them my handprints and show them my wounds and show them my side where I was pierced for them to know that resurrection is not, a, it's not fiction, but it's fact. Resurrection is truth, but it's not a myth. I will come back. And to us reading this scripture this morning, today, in 2024, it also speaks to us 
that one day Christ is going to come back again. His coming is imminent. He's going to come back again. So he didn't just resurrect, but he also gave evidence that I am going to come back again. I have unfinished business. But when you read verse 8, it's interesting. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. He saw and he believed. He believed. Even though he didn't know the scripture. Because the Bible lets us know that for as yet the, the disciples, they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But he believed. He believed. And that is the most important aspect of the book of John. The most important word or the commonest word in the book of John is belief, not Jesus. If you read all the 21 chapters, the commonest word in the book of John is belief. So the book of John is written for us to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. The book of John is written for us to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The book of John is written for us to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The book of John is written for us to believe. That's what makes us Christians because the just shall live by faith. And if we live by faith, living by faith also has to show proof of our belief. Believe in the word. Believe in Christ as the Son of God. Believe in Christ resurrecting from the dead. Believe that Jesus died for our sins. It's about belief. That's why this is written. So the book of John has a strong sense and agency to the writer to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe in the resurrection, to believe in Jesus, what he came to do for the church. Now, why should we believe in the resurrection? And why is the resurrection a big deal? Four Sundays from now, 31st March to be precise, we'll be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Why do we commemorate this ancient event? Romans chapter 4, verse 25. Let me give you four reasons. Let me, let's start from verse 23 so that we gain concepts. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus from the dead. So it's talking about righteousness here, imputes. It is not written for Abraham's sake that righteousness is imputed to us, but it is also written to everyone who believes? How did Abraham become righteous? He became righteous by believing, not by doing works, but by believing. And Apostle Paul is making us know that it is written not only for Abraham's sake that he believed, but to us who believe. And who are we going to believe? We will believe in him who raised up Jesus from the dead, who was delivered because of our justification of our offenses and was raised or resurrected because of our justification. So Christ rose from the dead because of our justification. 
What does it mean to be justified? Justification is the art of being declared righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? You are without sin. God has right your wrongs. God has declared you just. The punishment and the condemnation that you deserved for sin has been taken away by reason of Christ's death. That is justification. The art of being declared righteous. And it was necessary that Christ did not stay in the tomb, but Christ will resurrect again for our justification. So that we can be strengthened in this doctrine of justification. And that is one of the strongest things we need to understand as Christians. That when we come into Christ, we are not condemned. We are not condemned for our past sins because Christ has taken care of them by reason of his death on the cross. And he resurrected so that you and I will not have to live guilty. We will not have to live ashamed, but we will walk justified. We don't have to live condemned. So perhaps if you are here listening to me and you are always feeling condemned, you are always feeling guilty, perhaps you haven't yet understood the essence, the importance, and the significance of Christ resurrecting from the dead. We read it right here. He was raised because of our justification. Say to yourself, I have been declared righteous if you believe in Christ. Or all it is just to believe in him. That's the whole thing. Believe in him. Believe in God who raised Christ from the dead and you are declared righteous. So it's for us. That's why Christ had to be resurrected from the dead so that we can strengthen ourselves in the doctrine of justification. Let's look at the second one, Philippians chapter 2. This is where our yearly theme is taken from. This year, our theme is having the mind of Christ. And let's read from verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted Christ, given him a name. When was Christ exalted and when was his name exalted? At the resurrection. At the resurrection. This name is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Three welts will bow. Knees in heaven, knees on earth, Knees under the earth. Three welts. That's how powerful this name of Jesus is. People are called Jesus. It's spelled J-E-S-U-S. But that is different from this name Jesus, which has power. You can also be called Jesus. It won't carry the same power. It's just this name, Jesus, that has been exalted above every other name that every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow. And they're not just that, but every tongue in heaven, on earth, and under the earth 
shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So Jesus had to be resurrected from the dead so that God will exalt him and his name above every other name. That's why when we mention the name of Jesus, there is power. It's for his exaltation to set himself clear above every other name, to set himself clear above every other deity. He went to hell and conquered it and came back. He conquered death and took the sting out of it. He went to the grave and he went into the depths of hell and he preached to spirits that were kept in prison. We talked about that last week. He was buried. So Jesus Christ had to be resurrected because it was for God to exalt him and his name. That is why when we worship Christ, we are worshiping God. Because his name has been exalted and he has been exalted. The third reason, to fulfill scriptures. To fulfill scriptures. Now, I don't know how many scriptures are in the Old Testament, but they are quite a lot. If you read scriptures like Job chapter 19, verse 25 to 27, Job prophesied about the resurrection of Christ. If, re if you read about uh, Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 49, verse 15, chapter 73, verse 23 to 28, chapter 16, verse 10, all these are in the book of Psalms, chapter 22, all these speak about Christ will resurrect from the dead. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 19. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 14. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. And a whole lot of scriptures. All these talk to us about the Messiah will die and he will resurrect. And he had to resurrect to fulfill scriptures. It makes the word of God true. And it also makes Christ set himself apart from any other deity. It's to fulfill scriptures. Because if scriptures is not fulfilled, it makes the Bible a false book. Scriptures have to be fulfilled concerning Christ. So Christ had to resurrect from the dead to fulfill scriptures, to fulfill every letter of the law. Everything that had been prophesied about him concerning his crucifixion, his death barrier and resurrection had to be fulfilled. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is resurrection is the centerpiece of the gospel. That's why we shouldn't just make it a habit to preach on resurrection only on Resurrection Sunday. It's a bad habit. Because resurrection is the centerpiece of the gospel. And we should preach on resurrection in season, that is in the Easter season, and out of season, out of the Easter season. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So you see, 
Apostle Paul faced this enigma. He is preaching about the resurrection of Christ. And I don't believe that he was preaching this on an Easter Sunday. I believe he was just preaching this. But when he was preaching it, some people didn't believe. Some people wanted to reduce the resurrection to fiction. Some wanted to reduce it to myth. And that is still happening. People want to reduce the truth of the resurrection to a myth. People want to reduce to the fact of the resurrection to fiction. But listen to what Apostle Paul said in verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. How come before Christ, there were people who were dead and they resurrected? Like the Shunammite woman's son. Like Lazarus himself. Like Jairus' daughter. And Paul is saying that if these mere mortals, if they did not resurrect, then Christ did not rise from the dead. It's not possible. So if Christ did not rise from the dead, then the phenomenon of resurrection is false. Jairus' daughter rose from the dead. Lazarus rose from the dead. The Shunammite woman's son rose from the dead. How can we they say that Christ hasn't risen from the dead? Then a mixed resurrection, a myth. Read on. Verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and also our faith is empty. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have no preaching. Listen, without the resurrection of Christ, I, I can't preach the gospel. What am I preaching? Resurrection is the centerpiece of the gospel. Without resurrection, our gospel is empty, our faith is empty. But thank God that we have potent faith. And why do we have potent faith? Because of the power of Christ's resurrection. 15, yes, and we have found false witnesses of God because we have testified that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead did not rise. So not just we will have empty preaching, not just we'll have empty faith, but we'll also become false witnesses. That is why a Christian, we can't be false witnesses. We are true witnesses of the gospel. Why? Because Christ resurrected from the dead. How do we know he fulfilled the scriptures? How do we know there were eye account witnesses? How do we know his name has been exalted above every name that when we mention the name Jesus, every knee in heaven on earth and under the earth shall bow, every tongue in heaven on earth under the earth shall confess. The fact that people are receiving Christ as their Lord and personal Savior means that there has to be a resurrection. It's more than a myth. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Do you know why we have the faith to believe God for things that it happens? That we can say, according to your faith, let it be well with you. According to your faith, may you receive this answer to your prayer. The reason is because of Christ's resurrection. Because the Bible lets us know that if Christ is not risen, our faith is futile. And the Bible lets us know that the just shall live by faith. We are to live by faith. And if Christ did not rise or he didn't arose from the dead, then 
Our faith is futile. Our faith is futile. Our faith is empty. The gospel is empty. There is no way you can preach the gospel and make an altar call and someone will come to Christ if Christ did not resurrect. So it is because of the resurrection. That is why when we witness to people, they will receive Christ as their Lord and personal Savior because of the resurrection. We are still in our sins. Verse 18. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It is because of the resurrection. That is why we have hope for any believer who died that they haven't perished, but they will rise again. And we will see them again at the end of this age. All hope is gone. That's why when a fellow believer dies, we are not sad. Because we know we will see them again because of resurrection. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of the men the most pitiable. It is the centerpiece of the gospel. Paul is letting us know, if we have all hope in Christ just on this earth, we are the most pitiable of all men. But because of resurrection, we have hope in the hereafter. An empty tomb is the strongest evidence of our Christian faith. It's the strongest evidence that Jesus Christ is Lord. And just as we have to understand, we have to believe just as John believed, even though he didn't know the scriptures. Today, we know the scriptures and there are countless evidences to let us know that Christ indeed died, Christ indeed was crucified, Christ indeed was buried, Christ indeed was resurrected for our sakes, so that today you and I, we can enjoy the blessings and the promises that the new covenant has to afford us. And one of the things that it has afforded us now is that we will have communion. And when we have communion, it is dress rehearsal that we will sap and dine with him in the hereafter. That I has word of prayer as we worship the Lord this morning. Your name stands above them all. 
Father, we thank you. We give you praise now and forever. Amen. Let's take our communion. <laughs>